I will add my welcome and add my good morning to what's been said already. Appreciate you all very much being here and appreciate this opportunity we have to come together and to join, join our hearts and our voices together in song and praise and gather around the table to remember the great sacrifice of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. This morning, I'd like to look at Peter's second gospel message, Peter's second sermon from Acts chapter 3. So if you want to be turning there, we will be reading from that passage with others. Not long ago, we looked at Peter's first sermon, which was delivered there in this day, in this day of Pentecost. We looked at the one that was delivered there in Acts chapter 2. We saw how Peter capitalized on the events that were taking place in order to tell people about the gospel. For this lesson, I'd like for us to look at that second sermon that's recorded here in chapter 3 of Acts. And as we do, we'll note how Peter again capitalizes on the events that are taking place. As well as some other similarities in the two sermons. We'll look at some other similarities as we go along as well. Comparing these two sermons that Peter delivers here on this day of Pentecost. So if you're there in Acts chapter 3... We'll begin reading. But as we consider the things that are taking place, I mentioned that, that Peter's going to capitalize on the events of, of the hour. So what we want to look at first is that something miraculous takes place. So if you will, read with me verses 1 through 10 in Acts chapter 3. Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the ninth hour, the hour of prayer. And a certain man who had been lame from his mother's womb was being carried along, whom they used to set down every day at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, in order to beg alms for those who were entering the temple. And when he saw Peter and John about to go into the temple, he began asking to receive alms. And Peter, along with John, fixed his gaze upon him and said, Look at us. And he began to give them his attention, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I do not possess silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene, walk. And seizing him by the right hand, he raised him up, and immediately his feet and his ankles were strengthened. And with a leap, he stood upright and began to walk. And he entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God, and they were taking note of him as being the one who used to sit at the beautiful gate of the temple to beg alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Peter and John went to the temple in the ninth hour, which would have been at 3 p.m. We know from Acts chapter 2 and verse 15, the time of Peter's first sermon was at 9 a.m. This is a busy day. A lot going on in this day. But they encountered this man who was lame from his birth. And he was left every day at this same gate, this gate that's called Beautiful. And there he hoped to receive alms from, the people, alms from the people who were going into the temple. And as Peter and John passed him by, as he would ask anybody, he asked them for alms. He asked them for money. 
as they passed him by. We note there that Peter says, look at us. And then the man expects him to, to give him money, as, as would be what is the custom here. But instead, Peter heals him. Peter says, I don't have silver and gold. I don't have the money to give you as you're accustomed to getting. What I have is much greater. What he had was the power from God. He says, this is what I have. I have the ability to, he didn't tell him this, but this is what's going to happen. He had the ability to heal him from his lameness. He didn't have silver or gold. He didn't have the money to give him. But he had the ability to use the power of God to heal him. And he did. And he took him up and raised him up by his hand. And he received the, the strength in, in his feet and his ankles. And it says, and with a leap, he began to walk. Not just that he stood up and staggered and, and maybe fell and... and tripped and had to get up again. It says Peter lifted him up and he leaped. What does that tell us? It tells us, tells us that God's power is abundant. He didn't just start, start walking, but he leaped up. And as he entered the temple, he was leaping and praising God. Here's a man that every day they set him down by this gate so that he could beg for money. He'd been that way since his birth. Peter comes along and just says, look at us. And with the power of God, he healed him. The abundance, God's power. Luke 6 and verse 38 says, Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. God's power and his grace is abundance. He doesn't just simply meet our needs. He gives it to us abundantly. We see so many times with the miracles that happen in Jesus' ministry. It's not just that they had enough to, to feed 5,000. They had enough to pick up basketfuls of bread afterwards. The abundance of God's grace. The abundance of his mercy. He doesn't give us just what we need. He gives us abundantly. And this little example right here, we see this man, he didn't just stand up and walk, he leaped. And in so doing, people were able to witness this miracle. Verse 9 and 10 tells us that the people who knew he was the man that used to sit by the gate, they now saw him leaping and praising God. People witnessed this miracle. It wasn't something that just happened and nobody saw it. We'll talk about numbers here in a little bit. But this took place in front of people, in front of a lot of people. And these people witnessed something powerful. They witnessed the power of God. There are similar events in chapter 2. When the people heard the sound of the rushing wind, you remember that in chapter 2? They were gathered there in the upper room. There was a sound that came in like a rushing wind, and that was the baptism of the apostles into the Holy Spirit. That was the Holy Spirit coming upon them. 
And that just didn't happen in a vacuum either. Other people heard it. And other people came. And they heard them speaking in their own languages. Remember that? Remember how they marveled at it? That they, all these were speaking, but everyone could hear in their own language. There was an event there that was taking place. Something going on. And people saw it. People witnessed the power of God. And again, in both of these instances, we see Peter seizing the opportunity. These people, have, these people their attention is focused. And Peter seizes that opportunity to tell them about the gospel. We know from Scripture that these signs and wonders that went out were to confirm the gospel message. Mark 16 and verse 20 says, And they went out and preached everywhere, while the Lord worked with them and confirmed the word by the signs that followed. These signs, these abilities to perform miracles were to accompany the gospel message. They were to show the people who were hearing it that, that, that indeed the people who were bringing this gospel message were bringing it from God. They had the power and the authority from God to be telling them what they were telling them. So there was these signs that were accompanying these things. We also know from Scripture, like 1 Corinthians 13, that there was a time when those signs, those powers were going to cease. When the gospel message had been preached, there was no more need for the signs. Now we have the complete word of God. Remember, they were going around preaching. It wasn't until some years later that things were actually written down. Now we have the complete word of God. And we don't have those, the need for those accompanying signs anymore. Because what we're left with is the perfect will of God. In Peter's sermon here, the next thing I want to look at is he notes something from the past. Look in verses 11 through 13 with me. Verse 11 says, And while he was clinging to Peter and John, all the people ran together to them at the so-called portico of Solomon, full of amazement. But when Peter saw this, he replied to the people, Men of Israel, why do you marvel at this? Or why do you gaze at us as if it was by our power or piety we have made him walk? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant Jesus. Yes, there was something miraculous that took place. Yes, indeed, it draw, drew attention to the events of the time. Peter's going to capitalize on those events that take place. But Peter reminds them, it's not his power that has done this. Whose power is it? It's the power of God. It says, men of Israel, why do you marvel at this? This is the power of God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers. He's the one who has performed this. And not just of making a man stand up and walk, but raising Jesus Christ from the dead. That's powerful. Here there's prophecy fulfilled. We see similar in quoting Joel in Peter's first sermon. He talks about that Joel has told you this from a long time ago. Peter reminds him, reminds them of this in chapter 2 and verse 17. 
And it shall be in the last days, God said, that I will pour forth my spirit upon all mankind. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even upon my bond slave, men and women, I will in those days pour forth my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will grant wonders in the skies above, and signs on the earth beneath, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness, and the moon into blood, before the great and glorious day of the Lord shall come. And it shall be that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Peter reminds them of what Joel had said so many years ago in that first sermon. The second sermon, he does something very similar. This is the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. He's the one that's made this happen, not me. You should remember that. Jesus is the one that's fulfilling all these prophecies that they, they spoke of so long ago. Being the one that would come and save men from their sins. So Peter reminds them that Jesus is the one that's fulfilling all of this. Over in verse 22, Moses said, The Lord God shall raise up for you a prophet like me from your brethren. To him you shall give heed in everything, he says to you. And it shall be that every soul that does not heed that prophet shall be utterly destroyed from among the people. And likewise, all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel and his successors onward also have announced these days. It is you who are the sons of the prophets and the covenant which God made with your fathers, saying to Abraham, and in your seed, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. For you first, God has raised up his servant and sent him to bless you by turning every one of you from your wicked ways. There's something from the past that Peter's reminding them of. He's reminding them that God has spoken of this. He said this is what's going to happen in these last days. And this is it coming true. He tells them of some firsts. Peter tells them that they are the first to receive the blessings that the prophets spoke of. He tells them that they will be among the first to receive repentance. They're the first that will benefit from this great and wonderful blessing that God said he would perform. And then now is the time that he is doing that. He's pouring out his blessings upon them. And they would experience true repentance. Something else from Peter's sermon here is Something that is acknowledged. Read with me, picking up back in verse, the second part of verse 13. The one whom you delivered up and disowned in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. But you disowned the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. But put to death the prince of life, the one whom God raised up from the dead, a fact that now we are witnesses. The thing here that's being acknowledged is they've crucified the Savior. They have put to death the Son of God. 
Can you imagine that? Can you imagine being convicted of that and how it must feel? Peter did the very same thing in his first sermon. In chapter 2, in verse 36, it says, Therefore let all the house of Israel know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. He put to death the Son of God. There's an acknowledgement there. But there's a further acknowledgement that they did it in ignorance. Verse 17 says, And now, brethren, I know that you acted in ignorance, just as your rulers did also. But the things which God announced beforehand by the mouth of all his prophets, that his Christ should suffer, he has thus fulfilled. Yes, they did it in ignorance. Yes, they did. Similar to what Peter said in his first sermon, again, in verse 23 of chapter 2. It says, This man delivered up by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, you nailed him to a cross by the hands of godless men and put him to death. There's an acknowledgement there. Acknowledgement that you have put the Son of God to death. Nailed him up on a cross. But this was by the plan. The predetermined plan of God put all this together. So in these somethings, there's something acknowledged. The next something is, there's something to do. Pick up in our reading in verse 19. So here's the to do. Repent, therefore, and return, that your sins may be wiped away, in order that the times of refreshing may come in the presence of the Lord. And that he may send Jesus, the Christ, appointed for you, whom heaven must receive until the period of restoration and all things about which God has spoken by mouth. What is the thing to do? Repent. Change. Turn from. Stop doing what you're doing. When the crowd was convicted in chapter 2, They ask, what shall we do? Over there in verse 37 in chapter 2. Now when they heard this, they were pierced to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brethren, what shall we do? When they were convicted of putting the Son of God to death, there was something that needed to be done. And that something was to repent. (coughs) Peter tells them, verse 38, of chapter 2. Repent and let each one of you be baptized for the remission of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. It's very similar. What shall we do? Repent. Make a change. And in so doing, they will receive the refreshing gift of the Holy Spirit. It says there in verse 21 of chapter 3, whom heaven must receive until the period of restoration of all things, about which God has spoken by mouth and his prophets of ancient time. Back up in verse 20, he says, And he may send Jesus appointed for you. Sorry, verse 19. And the refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. There it is. Verse 19. Refreshing may come. In verse 38 over in chapter 2, 
It says you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit after you repent. You're baptized. You're going to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Similar language here. Repent. There's going to be a time of refreshing that comes. Refreshing in the gift of the Holy Spirit. Having been convicted of the things that they have done, Peter tells them what they must do now. And that's repent. And because of this, something happened. Because of all this taking place that's going on, there's something that happens. Read with me in chapter 4, verses 1 through 4. And as they were speaking to the people, as this was going on, as Peter and John were speaking to the people, here's what happens. The priests and the captains of the temple guard and the Sadducees came upon them, being greatly disturbed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. And they laid hands on them and put them in jail until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the message believed, and the number of men came to about 5,000. I said we talk about numbers a little later on. Here's where we start talking about numbers. Just how many people heard and believed. First thing that happens there is Peter and John are arrested. This begins the persecution for the sake of the gospel. And there would be persecution that would follow and more to come to the point of putting these, some of these apostles to death and putting others, others to death. Others who were believing in the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ were being put to death because of their beliefs. So as a result of this second sermon here that Peter delivers in the middle of his preaching, they come in and arrest him. Can you imagine someone coming through the door right now and taking me away? Don't imagine that too much. But in the middle of what they're doing, standing up for the gospel, preaching the gospel, they're persecuted for it. But 5,000 men believed. Similar to what happened over in chapter 2. Verse 41, where 3,000 souls were added to the church. Here we see a very negative consequence. Peter and John are put in prison. Stopped in the middle of their lesson. Arrested and put in prison. But it says there in verse 4, But many of those who had heard the message believed. What faith that is. What encouragement that is. Even though they took Peter and John away, they still believed the message that was given. 5,000 men. Typically that means there's more if they're not counting women and children. Or women and children of age. Think about that. From this event of this lame man sitting at the gate begging for alms. Peter takes that opportunity to tell them about the gospel. And as a result, over 5,000 people believed. A powerful message that is. 
So what we see here from the second gospel message is the gospel proclaims the death, burial, and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. We talk about going out and spreading the gospel. What are we telling them? What are we saying? What are we telling people? Death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Present in both of these sermons that Peter preaches. Hearing that, it compels the hearer to respond with repentance. And faith and baptism are implied in the second example, but they're very much seen in the first example. Those who were baptized were added to the church, about 3,000 souls that day. And here we see about 5,000 people who believed. The gospel message offers remission of sins and the refreshing gift of the Holy Spirit. Present in both of these sermons, Peter preaches on the day of Pentecost. Remission of sins and receiving the gift of the Holy Spirit, that refreshing gift of the Holy Spirit. The gospel message has gone out, brethren, but still going out. It's still ringing out. It's still ringing out for the next generation and the generation after that, the generation that will come. Our responsibility is to keep that message going, keep telling people about Jesus Christ, proclaiming his death and his burial and his resurrection, compelling the people who hear it to respond. You've heard the gospel message. What is your response? You have to repent. And in so doing, the gospel offers remission of sins. Offers that refreshing gift of the Holy Spirit and that promise of eternal life when this life is over. That's the gospel message. If you're subject to it, you can respond right now. If you need further study, if you need to know more about it, I will urge you that time is of the essence. We're glad to study with you. Tell you more about it. Look in scripture and get more out of this gospel message, this wonderful gospel message, and show how Jesus Christ, the Son of God, came to this earth and died for our sins. If you are subject to that gospel call, or if you need the prayers of the congregation on your behalf, we ask you to let that be known.